Hi, my name is Wizzy Brown. And I'm Molly Keck. And we are with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service Department of Entomology. And this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. Well, this week we're talking grasshoppers, which to some gardeners, um, whether it's a vegetable garden or your landscape, that can be kind of your arch nemesis, especially if you live in certain areas where tends to like have lots of pastures around or like open fields. It seems like green belt. And I always, yes, green belt, just open areas that aren't necessarily under your control. Right. And I always hate these calls because I feel so bad because I don't really know the best way to tell people to manage the grasshoppers. Cause you're kind of just fighting them as they come in, unless you have control over what's around you. For people that may not know, we have what are called short-horned grasshoppers and long-horned grasshoppers. And that kind of separates what we traditionally think of as a regular grasshopper that has short antennae. And then the katydids are the long-horned grasshoppers and they actually have really long antennae. And a lot of times katydids, when they're in the adult stage, they also look like leaves, a leaf or a plant or something like that. It helps to camouflage them. And they've got like more of a robust body. Like if you move the wings away, their body's like real chunky and stout. Yeah. And some of those get huge. Yes. Those ones that get like really, really big and people are like, they're going to eat my hand. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and some of them do bite pretty good. They could probably draw blood. I would never put my finger and put my hand in the mouth of a grasshopper or Katie did. I guess we should talk about how um, grasshoppers are related to katydids, like we mentioned, but also crickets. And um, they're in this this order called orthoptera. And I always teach the 4-H kids, the word hop is in orthoptera. And all of these are hoppers, most of them at least. There are some crickets, I guess, that are diggers as opposed to hoppers. But they all have that kind of like big thunder thigh, like real strong hind leg and very long hind legs compared to the rest of their body. So that's really how I differentiate the orthopterans or the grasshoppers, crickets, and katydids from all the other insects that are out there. And they're all chewers. So they're feeding on plant material, decaying organic matter, something, each other sometimes, because sometimes they can do that. And then they have an incomplete life cycle, which means that they have only three stages, an egg, and usually grasshoppers will lay their eggs in a field. Um, they'll, they'll kind of burrow their abdomen into the ground and lay a junk, a, a clump of eggs in there. And then those eggs will hatch and become nymphs, which look very similar to the adults, but can't fly. And seems like the ones that are the biggest problem will do that in the spring. And so they take all summer to kind of develop and then a bunch of them you'll, you're probably noticing right now are flying. Like if you go out into a field, you'll see them jump out of the ground. You can hear their wings kind of click, clicking as they go, or you can see them not necessarily taking flight, but kind of using it to glide and, and get further away from you. And then those are kind of doing the whole cycle all over again. So if you don't have control over where they lay their eggs and you have a really hard time trying to manage them as they come into your yard and your landscape. So something that I do want to mention, um, A lot of people call locusts, like get locusts mixed up with cicadas. So the the things that are chirping in the trees right now, those are cicadas. Those are not locusts. Locusts are actually a type of grasshopper. So when you say locust and you're referring to a grasshopper, you're actually correct. But if you say locust and you're referring to a cicada, 
then that is not a true and correct statement. Right. So like the plague of locusts in the Bible was actually a plague of grasshoppers. Yes. Not cicadas. Which that actually, that actually happens a lot of times. And, you know, a cool side note, usually when that happens and all the crops are eaten then the people go out and collect the insects and they eat the insects. That's right. <laughs> different kind of protein, different kind of food source, right? Yep. Got to go with what you got. <laughs> What do you usually recommend that people do when they've got grasshopper issues and they can't control the pastures that are around them? Um, I, I usually say pick the plants that you really, really, really don't want damage on and put actual screening around them. And when I say screening, it's not row cover. It's like stainless steel screening material. And depending on, you know, the grasshopper or Katie did that you have, that still may not be enough. They might be able to chew through that as well, but row cover, they just plow on through. So if you can't control the pressure that's coming in, it makes it really difficult to manage them. And then the other thing is, if you know that you have that constant pressure, making sure that you're monitoring on a regular basis and killing them when they're immature, so they're smaller and they can't fly away from you is going to help as well. And then they don't become adults and then mate and lay eggs and make more of them later on too. So you kind of keep that population lower. And I will tell people the same thing or just like give up, you know, cause it's usually summertime and it's getting really hot and your plants are kind of under stress anyway. So just give up and be thankful that you made it as far as you made it that year. But when it's earlier on and the plants are really tender or something, and they're coming in really, all you can do is kill who's feeding on the plant at that time. There's not really much you can do to keep repel them or keep them from coming in. So using like synthetic pyrethroids might be helpful because they chew on it. They ingest it, they get sick and they die, but you just killed one. So it's like a non-stop battle with grasshoppers, unfortunately. Well, and there are cool things about grasshoppers. Did you ever like have a grasshopper, like regurgitate on you and whatnot? Yes. My mother calls it, they chew tobacco because it's yes, like a the tobacco, tobacco juice, colored, yeah. you grab it by their head and they, it's a defensive regurgitation, which is, you know, kind of gross, but also somewhat cool in my opinion, you know, who, who wouldn't want to hold something that's throwing up on you. Right. So essentially, if you pick up a grasshopper, it's going to regurgitate onto you. That's that like brown goopy stuff that comes up and the fluid that's coming out of their mouth is essentially partially digested plant material that they've been chewing on as well as digestive enzymes. And so they call it the tobacco juice because of the color and the consistency. So it's that brown kind of gloopy stuff. It is just like that. <laughs> I don't know how else to, to say. It's and then some Katie did do a weird defense. I think it's the dumbest defensive mechanism that I could think of. They, when they're under stress, they will drop their legs, their hind legs. And I'm like, well, and that's supposed to like distract, I guess the predators, but then how do you get away? And you're not going to live all that long. So the, the leg, they'll drop the leg and it's still moving around. And so maybe it's like, distracting because like, Oh, well I'm going after that, but I don't know. I mean, cause then how much longer are you going to live without a leg? <laughs> you know, <laughs> better, better losing a leg than losing your life. That's true. I guess, <laughs> but then you better hide for a long time because you 
you can't get away from the other predators that fast. Right. And I mean, since they use their hind legs for jumping, it's going to be really difficult. Like if they go to jump with one hind leg, then it's going to be off kilter and they're going to go at a wonky angle or something. Always in a circle. (laughs) (laughs) I will tell you that one nice thing about having a lot of grasshoppers right now is that there's apparently a cricket uh, shortage and I can't get crickets for our frog or tarantulas. No kidding. I am having a problem with the, with the gecko. It's driving me crazy. And I spent all this time and, and gas going to the pet store. So we went out of town for the weekend real quick and our frog really needed to eat. And I told the kids, I said, just grab a net, let's go. And we went out and we collected some grasshoppers and in, and I did actually on the big ones, I pulled the, the larger ones, I pulled one of the legs off. So it'd be easier for the, the frog to catch it. And she chomped them down. So I guess, you know, you can replace crickets with grasshoppers at this moment. I've been using cockroaches for my gecko or for my kid's gecko, not my gecko. But you're yes. afraid mine would burrow. And then <laughs> we just have cockroaches in our, in our frog's cage. <laughs> They're going to be everywhere. So the other thing that probably people are familiar with, with grasshoppers is the noise that they make. Mm-hmm. And they do... They do make various noises. Usually it's going to be obviously to attract a mate because that's usually why insects are making noise. So it's the males that are going to be doing that. Females can also make noises, but that's usually like when they, when they get startled and they fly, their wings kind of snap out and that, you know, if you have good hearing, you might be able to hear that. You can hear like a ticking sound. Yeah. Like that like horror movie type stuff. It's kind of creepy, (laughs) but they are going to make the noise by rubbing the file. Yes. The saw and the file. And so they're like rubbing those against each other and it makes that. I don't know. I find it irritating, but you know, I guess maybe if I was a female then, or or a female insect, (laughs) Cause I am a female, <laughs> so, a female grasshopper. I might find that attractive, but you know, I just find it annoying. I feel like it's usually in the hot, like the dog days of summer when kind of the cicadas are kind of, I mean, they're kind of declining, right? Like right now I'm seeing them like hit my windows and fly randomly and hit the side of the house and they fall down dead. And as those are declining, then you start hearing the noise of the grasshoppers and and you hear them like during the day, if you live close to like a, it's always like an open kind of a field area. They're not really in dense foresty areas. They like more open, um, kind of not really prairie, but pasture like landscapes. So the, the grasshoppers they're rubbing because there, there's some insects that will rub their wings together. I think cicadas do that right. To make their noise, they rub their wings. I believe so. But with grasshoppers, they're a little bit different because they actually rub their hind leg on their wing. So they have mm-hmm. like this ridge thing on both of those and they scrape those together to make that noise and it's courtship. It's attractive to female grasshoppers. I think when I talk to people about grasshoppers, first of all, there's, there's some that are really pretty. You mentioned that earlier. The one that I usually get pictures of that everybody's concerned about because it's not a native species is that Aztec spur-throated grasshopper. Yeah, It's so pretty and it's like yellow and black striped and it's got those bright orange legs and so, so cute. Those 
yes, they're not native to Texas, but they have been here for a really long time. And so it's not something really to panic over at this point. We know that they're here. I think that they're fairly widespread. So it's just one of those. I just, you know, treat it like a regular grasshopper when you're treating it. And the thing is, is there a good grasshopper? Well, you know, it depends on what they're doing and where they are and what, if you care if they eat your plants or not, because yes, they're going to have purposes. Uh, they do, you know, you mentioned that they eat organic matter and, you know, they, they can help to decompose things. There are some, um, that will eat other insects and of course they fit into food webs. So they are going to have a place in the ecosystem but if they're eating a plant that you don't want them to eat, then that's kind of when they turn into a pest. And that can happen essentially in any stage. I mean, as soon as they hatch out of that egg, they have those chewing mouth parts and they're going to be feeding on whatever vegetation they can at that point. So, you know, is it beneficial or not? Well, if it's eating something that you don't want it to eat, then no. But if you don't care that it's munching on the plant, then I really wouldn't worry about it. But if somebody has had major grasshopper problems the year before, I always tell them to go out in the spring and kind of look for those little baby immature grasshoppers. And when they first come out of the egg, they're so, 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 so tiny. And you can just like squish those with your hand because they're, right. they're really, really small and soft. Yes. And very, very squishy. So, and if you're grossed out by that, you know, you can use insecticidal soap or the spinosad products that works really well on things that chew foliage, or you could use um, like botanical products. Uh, something like that to manage those types of populations. But once you hit that adult stage, all bets are off on that. You can't really go with the, the less toxic items. What do you tell people that ask you about using those Nosema baits? Do you ever get questions about that? I do. So you do have the, the bait products. And first thing I usually have to explain, because I did have someone at one point, they're like, well, I put out that that grasshopper bait in my yard. And I had all these grasshoppers and I was just like, well, yeah, that's kind of what happens. You're feeding them. So they would be coming in. That's kind of what you want. So just be aware if you are using a bait product, you are feeding them. You want them to come in. You want them to pick that up. You want them to eat it. So if you're using a bait, you don't want to use that with another pesticide or a fertilizer. You don't want to get it wet. So make sure you're reading and following that labeled instruction. But with the baits, if I remember correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, they will kill the immature stages, but with the adults, they, they don't actually kill them. So that's something that you need to get out early in the year, in my opinion. So you can have that out there when those babies are there and knock down that population. That's, that's my understanding also. And it's my understanding. It's like the really, really young immatures too. And so most people generally miss the, the window of opportunity to apply it. And I've always heard to really apply it to like the pastures where they're first hatching out or the areas that you think is like the the source, right? Ground zero of where all, they're laying all their eggs. So most of us don't have control over that either. And so you're putting it in your lawn and you're spending a lot of money and probably not getting a lot of impact when there's 
other things like the covers or um, uh, using a foliar spray on the plants early, early on, that would be a little bit more impactful. And that's probably something that we do need to mention. If you are someone who lives with a field around you or a green belt area backing up to your home, if you do not own that land, you cannot really do management for insects on that land because you are only responsible for your property and you can't apply those pesticides to land that you don't own unless you have a particular type of pesticide applicator license. So please make sure that you're not spraying places that you should not. So let's say that somebody has a couple acres or more and maybe the acre directly around their house is all they really is where they have like their landscape plants and the rest is just kind of natural. And maybe they don't farm it or anything, but they maybe keep it mowed. What are some things that they could do to what they can control to try to reduce some of the grasshopper populations? Um, I always say it's a lot of management stuff. So making sure that you're keeping that mode, that you're keeping um, weeds and stuff from coming up by using mulch or in a lot of this is early season, because if you have those things hatching out in the early parts of the year, then if you don't have food for those immatures, they're going to end up dying. So try to manage that as much as you can, because Um, if you don't have those weeds, then they're not going to have that early season food. So I do a lot of that mowing low. Yeah. Mowing, weeding. And some people really like the, the weeds, you know, weeds are still wildflowers a lot of times where they make a flower and some people like the way that looks. So you also kind of have to decide, do I hate the grasshoppers or more, or do I love the flowers more? And, and then just make a choice on what you like. And if it is more of a pasture land, maybe you, you know, you grow grass to cut it for hay, then if you keep it low, keep it mowed low. And then also, um, I have heard from some of the ag agents that tilling the soil or turning that soil over a little bit will help expose the eggs because they're just below the surface to all that sunlight, let them dry out. And then you hopefully have a, a lower population. And I also heard one time from one of our entomologists that does more on the ag side that grasshoppers tend to thrive when, when it's really, really dry because there are fun, there's fungus, I guess that's in the soil that will kill the eggs. Mm-hmm. So the wetter the season, which to me is funny. Cause I always think the wetter, the fall and the winter and the early spring, the more insects will have, because there's more moisture, more survive and make it to adulthood. But it's the opposite for grasshoppers where more moisture means less eggs actually make it out. So hope for a wet spring. That's right. <laughs> I guess we didn't have a wet spring. We had a very wet uh, summer, didn't we? Yeah. It was like early summer that we got all the rain. So have you noticed there are certain insects, I think that like tend to prefer plants, certain plants over other ones. Could you name like what you think your top five plants are that most people have an issue with grasshoppers so that if somebody lives in an area where they can't control grasshoppers, they at least know what to avoid planting. I I don't know of anything specific. I mean, do you have specific plants? Because with me and my experience, it just really depends on what they have in their landscape because they're usually going to go for the the tender, juicy stuff. And so whatever is in the landscape that fits that category, that's what your grasshoppers are aiming for. I would say peach trees or like orchards. If people have fruit trees, 
And maybe it's because it's really, really hard to cover those, but um, people that have young fruit trees, I always get calls about that, that the grasshoppers are just annihilating them and they just see them hanging from all over the little branches and eating up all those fresh tender leaves. And it could also just be timing. Like you said that, you know, the juicier the growth is the, the tastier it is for them. So maybe when that new growth is coming out is when the grasshoppers population is higher. And so it's just a, a timing issue. But, um, I'd say if you, ha- if you have lots of grasshoppers, maybe don't so grow any fruit trees. Well, and you also need to know that grasshoppers, while they're going to eat foliage, they also will eat fruit. So if you have like Mm -hmm. fig trees, the figs are going to start coming off on the fig trees. And so if you have a grasshopper population, they're going to be eating that fruit and damaging that as well on the foliage fruit, and they'll eat anything and everything they can if they need to. So (laughs) they're not picky. No, they're not at all. And it's like, you're not going to find them chewing a pecan, right? Like they're not going after nuts or really hard things, but they like things that are tender enough, right? But they still have some pretty strong mouth parts. So if you have bushes in your yard that like are really waxy or like if you touch them, they smell bitter or something to your, on your finger and there's something chewing holes in it. I would always guess it's a grasshopper because they'll eat some of the things that you think would taste terrible and they'll make holes in it. And they're a lot like deer, a lot of times too, where maybe a plant is considered deer resistant, but when the deer walk through and each one takes a taste out of that plant, then that plant no longer has any leaves on it. And grasshoppers might be the same way when there's so many of them, each one might take a bite or two. And so you see significant damage, even though that may not necessarily be a plant that they want to feed on. They take a bite, don't like it and move on to your other stuff. But that grazing is going to cause a lot of, when there's a lot of them, that grazing, you're going to see a lot of holes in your, in your leaves. Yeah. It's going to be all about pressure at that point. Like how big is the population that's moving in? And if you just have something that's constantly entering into the area, it's just going to be a constant battle. I know I, this is like doomsday podcast, right? Because we're talking grasshoppers. Everyone hates them, but well, if If you are in an area that has uh, fields around it, then I'm going to make the assumption that you are capable of having chickens possibly. So you could get some chickens and those could help you eating the grasshoppers or quail or, you know, whatever (laughs) they're, they're going to eat that stuff. So that would be maybe an option that you can get some of those. That could definitely help predator or vertebrate pressure on your grasshoppers. Yeah. And I mean, and of course there's other predators that are going to be attacking the grasshoppers. I mean, we have insects that are going to feed on them, but birds, we have reptiles, um, you know, mammals that are going to feed on them. There there's all sorts of stuff, but it's all about, it's a numbers game. It Mm -hmm. really is. So how many predators and parasites do you have in the environment and how many, you know, pests. And if you have more predators and parasites, then they're going to keep that population suppressed. But a lot of times it gets out of balance and that could be affected by pesticides that we're utilizing. Sometimes if you use a pesticide, then you not only kill off some of the pest, but you're also killing off uh, some of the beneficial insects that would be killing those pests. And so then the pest population comes back with a vengeance right? and right. it just skyrockets. So you have to be really careful about looking for those beneficials and seeing if you have those 
and making sure that you're targeting your treatments if you're doing something. I mean, it's, it's all about your personal decisions, but with grasshoppers, I know in my, my yard, I really don't do anything. It's like, it's too much of an effort to chase them around. So I'm just like, if you want it, have at it. Exactly. I do what you say where I choose the plants that I really want to do well. Like I don't want them eating my zinnias right now because I want them to make lots of flowers and I, and not chomp all the leaves down. So then that's all I'm really worried about. But the, the other stuff, you can have that stuff all you want. In that case, you can target either cover that somehow so they can't get to those. But if you want to enjoy the flowers, then, you know, you could use a pyrethroid or something like that on that plant. And if you're not eating the plant, like I'm assuming you're not eating your zinnias, right. just a guess, <laughs> you could do like an imidacloprid or something. But the thing that you would have to worry about if you're using a systemic like imidacloprid and that's a flowering plant is if you have pollinators that are coming to that and then they would take that product up as well. And that could possibly affect the pollinators. So those are other considerations you definitely have to keep in mind. Yeah. Sometimes it's not an easy fix. Sometimes you can't just spray and kill what you want to kill. It's all about balance. It is all about balance. Well, that's about all that we know about grasshoppers and what you can do to try to manage them in your landscape. We hope you learned something and we will be back again in another couple weeks talking about some of those other insects that you need to watch out for in your landscape. Thanks for listening to Bugs by the Yard and we will catch you in a couple of weeks.